Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. And while you're turning there, I decided that I would come up with a creative title. I can only do this one time. 2020 vision. Uh, think about it as we're entering into the year of 20, what is it? 2020. We want to make sure that we have 2020 vision. You know, it's really hard to believe that Christmas is over. Can I get an amen? It's difficult to believe that. It seems like it was just November when we were getting out the music, the lights. I love the the holiday season. This isn't this this is no secret. I love getting together with family and, and friends and, and, um, and eating food, right? Lots of food. Did you know that uh, there was, in the Old Testament, that it was a commandment by God from, t- from time to time for the people to buy food, whatever they wanted, and to celebrate and to eat before the Lord? Well, I believe in the Old Testament, and I practice that during Christmas. <laughs> Uh, but there is a time to celebrate, there's a time to, to have holiday, but there's also a time to move ahead. And you know, it's, it's a weird thing, it's a weird season uh, after Christmas. It's, it's the 26th to the 1st. Isn't that kind of like a, a strange stretch of time? Because um, Christmas is over, but it seems like the world is still asleep. Everything seems to be sluggish, school hasn't started back, and if you do go to work, it's, I mean, are you going to get much done if you go to work? It's just one of those things where uh, you feel unproductive. So on one hand, it can feel sluggish, but on, but on the other hand, this is also a great time for us to reflect, to reflect on the year that we just went through. And, and sometimes we need to recalibrate our lives, don't we? Because we all know that as human beings, it's so easy to drift away from what's most important. And so as we're heading into 2020, I thought that it would be a good idea to take some time and to just check where we're at, to check our focus, to check our focus as individuals and to check our focus as a church. Um, So this morning, as I said, the title of my message is 2020 Vision. I want to make sure that we can set our focus on the right way before we enter into 2020. And this morning's passage, I believe, is going to help us to do that. And just to give you a little bit of context before we get there, um, we're going to be, like I said, we're in Mark chapter 12. But in context, Jesus has just entered into Jerusalem. He's in his final hours. He's, he's making his way to the cross. And as he enters into the city, he shakes, shakes it up with his presence. And... Um, You know, like I just said, we've been celebrating Christmas, and one of the songs that we sang was Joy to the World, the Lord is Come. And that's what his disciples were doing when he entered into Jerusalem. They were singing joyful songs. But there was this one group of people that was not 
uh, agreeing with this. They were not drinking the eggnog, as it were. They were not feeling the love. They were not feeling the joy. Um, And they were the religious leaders of the day. And the reason that they were not feeling it is because they were feeling threatened by Jesus. Uh, Jesus was one of those guys that could get the crowd. The crowd was was gravitating toward him. The, The crowd was drawn to him because unlike the Pharisees, Jesus was real. Jesus was touchable. And he he genuinely cared about people, unlike the religious leaders of the day. And he had a heart for the common man and the downcast. And yet, he was a man who spoke with authority. The people said, we have never heard anyone speak the way that this man speaks. And so as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the leaders surround him like a, a hungry pack of hyenas, and, and they're seeking to trap him in his words. And if, if you've never read Mark chapter 11, the chapter before this passage, and through chapter 12, I want to, I want to encourage you to take the time to read this passage, the surrounding text, because these, these texts give insight to who Jesus is. They clearly show his wisdom and his brilliance. Because as the religious leaders are attacking Jesus, you'll see, if you can like pull up a chair and get in the circle where they're all at, you'll notice that Jesus is calm, he's under control, and he's confident. Not only that, he sees, he sees through the hypocrisy of the leaders, and he ends up owning them and humiliating them in front of the entire crowd. And that does not make things go well for him. It only makes matters worse. And so with this in mind, we're going to pick up our text for today. Mark 12, beginning with verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that that he, that is Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all. Now, a scribe was someone that, would, that paid close attention to detail. They had the duty of taking the Word of God and hand-scribing it from one piece of paper to another. They paid close attention to detail, even to spacing. They wanted to make sure that the Word of God was transferred accurately. And so, you know, scribes aren't totally weren't totally useless, bad people. We can actually see the words that we have in our Bible today. We can actually thank God for the scribes that laid down their lives to make sure that we got the word of God accurately. But they were also responsible for interpreting and applying the law of God. And so this scribe asks, which commandment is the most important of all? If you have to boil all the commandments down that are in the Bible, what is of first importance? And back in Jesus' day, there were two schools of thought. Number one, there was this group that liked to expand the law, take a law and expand it by surrounding surrounding it with hundreds of other laws and uh, regulations. And the Pharisees, they were notorious for building fences 
around the law. They, they wanted to make sure that you, you didn't get close to what the law was telling you not to do. For example, on the, the Sabbath, it said to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, to rest on the Sabbath. So they would make up laws and regulations to make sure that you rested on the Sabbath. They would tell you how much you could lift up, how far you could walk, uh, what you could eat. All these types of laws were put around uh, the, the uh, Sabbath or the laws of God, which God had not made. And so they were burdening the people with things that God had not done, had not said. And you know, we've got to be careful because we can look back and go, oh man, I can't believe they did that kind of stuff. But we do it too. I think we're just not aware of it. Um, I'm going to give an example in, in our, our day. Uh, alcohol. Now, um, what does the scripture teach about alcohol? It says, do not get drunk, right? That's the commandment, do not get drunk. And sometimes we can, we can get up and say, that means don't touch it. Now, some of us don't need to touch it. There's truth about that. And you've got to be wise about that. So I'm not up here promoting alcohol, but I'm using that as, as an example. We need to see what does the scripture actually teach about something, and don't go beyond it. Now, you might need an extra law that says, I don't touch something to keep you from, from stumbling, but we have to be careful that we don't make our man-made laws the laws of God. That's what the Pharisees were doing. So they, some of these people like to expand the law, and then there's another group that would like to take the law and then condense it down into one single sentence or a thought, much like a mission statement. And so that's what this, this scribe is seeking to do and to hear from Jesus. And I believe that he's really asking an honest question here. He seems to really want to know if Jesus understands the heart of the law. And this is, this is important to understand, because if you read these passages that I've been telling you about, this is the only passage, only time that Jesus answers them in a favorable way. Why? Because I believe this man was truly asking questions that he wanted to know the truth. The others were trying to debunk him. But Jesus, listen, the living Jesus, if you have true questions, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. The Lord wants us to know the truth and to walk in it. So if you are truly a seeker of truth, truly wanting to know the truth, I encourage you, go to Jesus. Open his word. Ask him to teach you the truth, and he will. So let's look at what Jesus says in verse 29 here. Jesus answered, The most important commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love. If you boil it down, he says love. Simply Love God and love people. And when, when Jesus quotes the greatest commandment, he, he's actually quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And even today, devout Jews will recite this twice a day. Hear, O Israel, 
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They want to be reminding themselves that there is only one God. He, there is only, not many, there is only one God, the one that created the heavens and the earth, and that he is our God. The, the only God is our God. Therefore, let us love him in four ways. With our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength. And, and all of these four are connected. The heart, obviously it's not talking about the physical heart that we have in our bodies. The heart is a, a spiritual organ where our wants and our desires are stored. If you remember when the shepherds, remember in the Christmas account when the shepherds came to Mary and it says that they went away, it says that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And Jesus says, if you want to know what kind of treasures are in your heart, listen to yourself talk. What comes out of your mouth? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We're to love God with all our heart. Secondly, we're to love God with all of our soul. What is the soul? Well, the soul is the real you. It's the part of you that when you die and you leave this body, that's the part of you that's going to live somewhere in eternity. Um, it will continue to exist even after you leave your body. I like what George McDonald said. He said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. In other words, your soul has a body. And so every person is a soul. Every soul was uniquely created by God to be a one of a kind. And so from that distinct person, Jesus says we are to love God. He then says, love with all your mind, that is with your intellect. Now, everybody, I don't care who you are, has ideas and thoughts about who God is. And our affections for him must be directed and shaped by the truth that he reveals about himself, primarily through the word of God. We need to make sure that we get rid of myths and imaginations. Lastly, he says, love the Lord your God with all your strength. That is, with all your energy. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 say, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that, the, that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So, from sunup to sundown, we are called to love God with every fiber of our being and the things that seem mundane, even in the things that seem mundane and unimportant, like taking out the trash. Is anybody in here, like, was that your job growing up, taking out the trash? Can I see, just see your hand so I can pray for you right now? Yeah. You know, at my house, it seems like, we change the bag, we close the door, open it up, and it's full again. Is that, is that what it feels like? And I can find myself grumbling about that. I need to love God when I change the trash. Why? Because it shows that there's empty cans of food in there, right? Sometimes there's actually food, leftovers in there, and empty Amazon boxes. Moms of little children, if you're changing diapers... Stop, um, instead of complaining 
and gagging. Um, love God when you change your di- the diapers. Why? Because it means the baby has had food to eat and drink, right? And that their digestive system is working rightly. And how about if you're standing in the truth or have stood in the truth and someone has persecuted you or pushed you away? Love God. Why? Because you've been found worthy to bear the name of Christ. And your name, Jesus said, is written in heaven. So we need, it's, a lot of times it's the way that we look at things that dictate whether or not we're going to love God. And Jesus says that this is the greatest commandment, to love God. This is what we were created for. In verse 31, he says, The second greatest commandment is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody tell me what that is known as. Love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule, or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is known as the golden rule. And you know what? Most of the time, we think that it comes from the New Testament. But did you know that it actually has its origin in the Old Testament. It's found in Leviticus 19, verses 17 through 18. It says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. If you see your brother going down the wrong way path, he says, don't hate them. Love them by instructing them to get onto the right path. Verse 18, he says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. Here it is. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament. I am the Lord. But you know what? It goes back even further than, than Leviticus. Back to Genesis. Remember when Cain killed his brother? God comes to him and he says, where is your brother Abel? And Cain goes, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? What was the answer to that? Yes, absolutely. You are your brother's keeper. And we love God, Jesus says, by loving our neighbor as ourself. Now, so again, according to Jesus, what are the two greatest commandments? They involve loving God and loving people. And you know what? I don't think that what I just said blew anybody's mind. Like, whoa, I'm glad I came this morning. I've never, ever heard that before. You know, we know what to do. It's not like we don't know what to do. Um, Christians are supposed to love God, right? Christians are supposed to love one another. Even the world, even people that don't believe in Jesus know that. If you don't believe me, do something wrong to them. Do something wrong to somebody, and they will say, rightly, I thought Christians were supposed to, to love. That, that's something that we all know. It's not something that, that, that uh, we don't know what to do. And, and I also know that not only do we know what to do, we also desire to do it, don't we? Don't you desire, especially if you're truly a born-again child of God, there's something in you that desires to love God with everything you are, and there's something that desires in you to love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, I don't don't know how many times I've been sitting in a message and I've heard that message, you know, love God. And I'm I'm sitting there going, yes, and and I'm giving application. I'm like, man, I want to love God. Love your neighbor. Love your wife, you know, when you're not getting, when, when you're not, 
doing well. Husbands, you need to pursue your wife when you're in a conflict. You know, you need to be, and I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. You know, I want to. I really want to. So it's not that I don't know what to do. It's not that I don't know, uh, that I don't want to do it. And I think that's what was going on with the scribe here. He knows what to do, and he wants to do it. The reason I say that is because of verses 32 uh, through 33. Listen to what he says. And the scribe said to him, after he hears what Jesus says, he says, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the, all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one, one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. The scribe, he knows what to do, and I believe he wanted to do it. But you know what's interesting is what Jesus says next. He doesn't say, well, let's look what he says. He says in verse 34, And when Jesus saw that, the, that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Listen, um, you've got to read this later, later this week so you can just see the whole picture here. But look what he says. He, when, when he hears uh, what the scribe says, he doesn't go, well done, my good and faithful servant. He says, you are not far from the kingdom. In other words, you're so close, but you're not quite there yet. Why, what is he talking about? Why, why does Jesus say that? Because Jesus needs him to understand that he's missing something. He knows what to do, and, he, and we desire to do it. But there's something that we lack, and that is, in and of ourselves, we lack the ability. We lack the We can't do it. And Jesus knew that the scribe didn't have the power to do the two greatest commandments, and neither do we. And boy, I, like I said before, I love preaching about this. This is one of those, it's just so enjoyable to stand up in front of a congregation or to sit around a table and talk, man, this year in 2020, I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength. I'm going to give it everything I've got. I'm making New Year's resolutions. And you know what? Me and my family are going to do better. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better friend. All these things. I love talking about it. But then I get into life and it smacks me between the eyes, and my vision gets blurry, right? And I realize I don't have enough gas in the tank to make it happen. Has anyone ever experienced that? Where you, you, want, you know what to do, and you want to do it, but then when you leave here, and you go into the real world, it's like, you don't do it. Paul, I praise God for the Apostle Paul. Because he writes about this in Romans 7. I want to read this. Now, you got to, this is the part, if you've been daydreaming, you got to pay attention to this part, okay? Because this is one of those mind tanglers. But here's what Paul says For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do not, now, <laughs> if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. 
So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. And look at this. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight, look at this, I delight in the law of God. I love what God commands in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and asking, I'm sorry, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Again, we know what to do. And we often want to do it, but we can't. Why? Because we need power. And you know, I love professional tools. Um, there's something that's just feels good about a, a real professional tool versus a homeowner tool. Um, it's built different. Uh, it, it just, just the ergonomics of it, it, it feels great. I've got a, a DeWalt a DCL 40 20-watt flashlight, and I want to read the description, okay? DeWalt's DCL 40 20-volt max LED light flashlight features added lumens for brighter visibility as well as a pivoting head and hand-free capabilities when placed on a flat surface, all of which combines for a versatile, a versatile and durable work light that's ideal for any workshop, garage, or job site. Charles, I should have had, man, I should have had Charles Twitty read that. That would have sounded so good, right? But wait, there's more. When paired with the 20-volt Max 3.0 lithium-ion battery, not included, the DCL40 provides up to 11 hours of light output. Isn't that awesome? I mean, this thing is, like, awesome. Can you hear that? What's, what's missing with this? I mean, this is, this is, I'm not trying to trick you this morning. Not this morning. What, what's, what, what's this missing? A power. It's missing the battery. So I don't care how awesome this flashlight is. I don't care how great the bulb is in it. I don't even care that it, you know, it has this little like uh, hook thing that you can put. Well, it doesn't work. But I don't even care <laughs> that, it, that it has it. If it does not have power, it cannot do what it was designed to do. And that is to shine light. And in a similar way, when we came into the world, we came into the world like this light, this uh, flashlight. Batteries were not included. Um, we are unable to do what we were designed to do by God, and that is to shine the light of God by loving God and loving people. So the question that we need to ask is, where do we find the power? Where do we find the power? 
Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says, For the word of the cross, or the gospel, is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So when, when Jesus told the scribe, you're not far from the, the kingdom of God, I think in part what he was telling him was you don't have the power yet to do what you know and what you desire. You don't have it yet. And it's important for us to understand something. The command does not empower us. The, the command was never meant to empower us. It was to show us that we need a power source. And I love Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. It says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. I'm going to say that again. For God has done what the law could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, the gospel is the power that we need in order to obey the command. Now, oftentimes when we talk about the gospel, we're, we're talking about the death of Jesus, that he paid for our sins. And that definitely is a part of the gospel. But the part I, I want us to focus on this morning is the part of us being reckoned righteous. Now, stay with me here, okay? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We try to do that, and we fail. That's not good news, is it? But here's what the good news is. Jesus left heaven to do what we could not do, and that is to love the Lord our God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. And he loved us by dying for us on the cross. And listen, when you come to Jesus, when you come to him and believe that, that he lived a perfect life, and that he died for you, and you lay at his feet and you say, I believe in you, I love you, I want to be under your command, under your lordship, I believe, I lay my life before you. When you be believe that, something called the great exchange happens. And this is the good news that I want us to see. Everything that Jesus did in life, perfect, loving the Father with all of his heart, his soul, his strength, his might, and loving everybody perfectly, we get credit for that. He puts his righteousness upon us, and he takes, he already took it, but our sin gets taken back to Calvary, and he gets credit for what we did. That's why he was punished in our place, and that's the good news. And when we truly connect with the gospel, the light comes on, and we begin to glorify God with our lives. That is the, that is the truth of the gospel. 
knowing what Christ did for us and also knowing what the benefits. You're no longer saying, I'm going to try to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength so that he will love me. I'm loving him with my heart, mind, and strength because he loves me and he's already seen me as loving him perfectly. And that, that is the vision. That is the 2020 vision that we must start the new year off with. If we're going to come to the end of the year and say, that was a year that we glorified God. Because we all, listen, we all have the tendency to get distracted. We all have the tendency to drift from Jesus. And this morning, I want to encourage you, if God is speaking to you and you're hearing his voice and he's stirring in your heart and in your senses of your heart and of, you, you sense that he is saying, for the first time, I want you to put your faith in me. I want to encourage you this morning to come home to the shepherd of your soul. And this morning, church, Reach Life Church, the rest of us that have already put our faith in Jesus, maybe this morning you're, you're seeing, you know, I've drifted from my first love. Other things have gotten in the way. I want to encourage you to, to confess your sin also and return to your first love, to the shepherd of your soul. Don't leave this morning before you make it right with the God who loves you. Amen.